Basic Bible 101. We are continuing with the New Testament. This Today's lesson, lesson number four, is on Jesus' teachings. And what we're going to do, well, when we left off last time, we were talking about how Jesus was tempted, and then how the various um, people responded to him once he began his earthly ministry, how he uh, called his disciples, and what... Um, what the disciples thought of Jesus at first. They at first they they knew he was a wise holy man somewhat because they had been following John the Baptist and so they transferred their allegiance to Jesus because that was one of the things that John the Baptist encouraged them to do. And so now we're going to look just for a minute I told you last time we would um cover this the story of the Samaritan woman which we would have covered the end of the last podcast, but I must have talked too long because I used up all of our time. So today I'm going to start with that uh, story. This is in John chapter 4. We see that Jesus is, um, well, I'll just read the first little bit. The Pharisees heard that Jesus was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John, although in fact it was not Jesus who baptized, but his disciples. When the Lord learned of this, he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Shikar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about the sixth hour. Okay, those of you that took the or had listened to the Old Testament uh, Basic Bible 101 will remember that Jacob, whose name was changed to Israel, who had the 12 sons, or 11 sons, I think it was, that became the 12 tribes of Israel. Um, his son was Joseph. And if you remember, Joseph was the one, the young man who was sold into slavery. Well, um, this is one of the probably one of the reasons his brothers hated him so much because his father had given him a well. So if you can think back to that and think, well, here's this well, and it had become a kind of a famous well, and yet it's out outside the city, outside of Samaria. Let's also take a minute to look at Samaria. Samaria, if you have a Bible um, that has maps, you might want to look in the back and see where it is. It's north of Jerusalem, and he, Jesus has to travel through it to get back to Galilee. And as he is traveling through this, this is an area that most Jews avoided because they didn't get along with the Samaritans. And I think we might have covered already the division of the Samaritans from the Jews. They just worshipped in different places, and even though they worshipped the same God and had the same basic heritage, they there was a lot of differences in the way they worshipped. You probably could compare it today to uh, a couple of different um, factions of the Protestant faith. You know, whether what you know, Methodist versus Lutheran or Baptist versus Presbyterian, whatever. But there was enough differences that they really didn't like each other. So that would is what would make it different from what we know today. Um, back then, they because they worshipped uh, up on the hills instead of down in Jerusalem, where all of the Jews felt that they should go to worship, the Samaritans were kind of given a bad rap. And so the Jews would really have nothing to do with them. So here we have Jesus, a good Jew, walking along and being tired and sitting down by, down by this well. Now the disciples had gone ahead in, into town, which you see down in verse 7. But Jesus comes to the woman. He said, will you give me a drink? Now why this woman is out at the well in the middle of the day, it says the sixth hour, 
Um, we don't know other than that she's probably somewhat ostracized from the rest of the women in town and so she's kind of goes by herself and while she's out there Jesus asks her for a drink and she is surprised at this for two reasons one because he's a Jew and they didn't speak to Samaritans and two because he's a man and they didn't acknowledge women and so here he is this uh, she is saying uh, you are a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman how can you ask me for a drink and Jesus answers her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asked you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, You have nothing to draw from and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his flocks and herds? Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again but whoever drinks the water I give will never thirst indeed the water I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life the woman said to him sir give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water he told her go call your husband and come back what a strange thing for Jesus to say isn't it go call your husband and yet the woman answers well I have no husband but Jesus, because he knows this woman and he sees her personally and realizes that there's much more to her story than, than she's letting on, says to her, you're right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you have had five husbands and the man you now have is not your husband. Uh, what you have just said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Jesus declared, Believe me, woman, a time is coming when you will worship the Father, neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. What he's telling her is that there is a bigger program coming, a bigger program um, in place, that, that God is at work behind the scenes. And because he tells her things about her personal life she thinking this is getting too personal tries to deflect by by talking about the differences between them and he looks beyond that and shows her a glimpse of what worship will be like in heaven and so she is just amazed by this and she says I know the Messiah is coming uh, when he comes he will explain everything to us and Jesus declares, I who speak to you am he. And so this woman has been talking to the Messiah, the one they've been waiting for, and she's astonished. So she, about this time, the, the disciples are returning, and they're kind of picking on the woman, saying, what do you want, and why are you bothering him? And she uh, leaves her water jar and runs back into town and starts telling people, um, I've met this man, he's out at the well, and he's told me everything about my life, and I think you should come and talk to him and hear him what he has to say. So the people come running out and start asking Jesus um, who he is, and Jesus starts to teach them. So we see this picture of just a common, everyday, fairly lowly woman who has had five husbands and is living with a man now who's not her husband, and yet Jesus sees her and acknowledges her and and gives to her a glimpse of the fact that he is the Messiah. What an honor that she is able to relate to Jesus in this way on a very personal level, even though her status and, and everything about her would not be something that certainly the Messiah would be at all um, 
willing to acknowledge or to notice. So that is the story of the Samaritan woman. I've heard it preached many times, and there's all sorts of interesting little facets to the story. But the main thing to remember is that this woman was an outcast, and she was a woman of, um, you know, that would normally not be recognized by God. But Jesus did see her and and acknowledge her and and begin to share who he was with her. And that is what he does with us. We are far from God, and yet God comes into our life impressing upon us truth and revealing himself to us. And if we are so open to it, if we will listen, then he will um, show, reveal who, who he is, who God is. Okay. Let's um, move on a little bit. Last week we talked about how Jesus was um, beginning to draw a crowd. And here, at, by in this lesson, we see that the people are be really beginning to follow him because he speaks um, in stories that are somewhat entertaining. And it's very intriguing to the, the normal population. You could think of it as if you have someone who's coming through town and they have an interesting perspective on life and there's things about them that draws your attention and you want to hear more about them. You're curious about them. This is what's happening as the people are beginning to say, who is this man and where does he come from? Let's look at a little bit of the things that Jesus was actually teaching about. If you will turn in your Bibles, in your student Bibles to Matthew 5, we will, right at the beginning of the New Testament, uh, we will look at one of his first teachings. And this is a, um, where he is up on a, a mountainside and he's preaching down to the people. And he begins to talk like this. This is Matthew 5 um, at the very beginning. Uh, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. The, this is called the Beatitudes. That's how it's referred to, Matthew 5. These Because he keeps saying, blessed are, blessed are. That, that would be kind of an unusual thing for us to hear nowadays, for somebody to go around saying. But probably was not that unusual back then. And by him saying this, he's saying, you are lucky, you know, if, if this is what your life is like. And when he's saying, you are lucky if you're meek, poor, um, if you are hungry and thirsty for righteousness, the, the descriptions he's giving are of low, people who don't have the right to um, speak to the Messiah and don't, and don't have the right even to be in front of God. And yet he is saying, you are lucky because this is the spirit of your heart. You are poor in spirit. You are, you are mourning, you know, you're sad over loss. Um, you have been merciful to others. You're pure in heart. You're a peacemaker. I mean, these are things that Jesus looks at these people and says, these are real characteristics that, that bring you joy. If you are this way, if you are, just, you know, follow God in a simple way. 
And the people just soak it up because up until now, the only way they've understood that they could be known by God or have anything in any way be considered holy is by going through the rituals that the Pharisees and uh, religious leaders would impart upon them and really having to go into special study under a particular uh, Pharisee and you know religious teacher it was a, a very demanding course of action to be a spiritual person and therefore most people just defaulted to attending the temple and, and usually in the outer courts for the most part and, and really offering their, uh, you know, birds, whatever they had to offer for their sacrifices on occasion. But they knew that they were not somebody who could really know God because their lives were so be, so far beneath what was expected. And in our society, we can look at that and say, you know, many times we put harder bear, uh, burdens on people to follow God than than even Jesus did. Because here he's saying, you know, you'll be happy if you will hold these kind of truths. And the people could relate to it. They could, it, it resonated inside them. Something inside them said, wow, yes, um, I do mourn and I am comforted by this man speaking. Uh, I am meek, and his promise that I'll be able to inherit the earth, that's, that's a great promise. You know, these were This gave the people hope. And so they wanted to hear more and more about what Jesus said, it's to the point where they would just follow him wherever he went. Um, when we look at some of the things that uh, Jesus was trying to get across to them, was he really rejecting their current religion? Actually, no, you could say that he came to fulfill the law, not to do away with it. He was making it accessible, just like with the Samaritan woman, that it was something that these people who were not religious could um, relate to and could grab onto and could incorporate into their lives. Uh, some of these uh, teachings, if you look further in the chapter, he starts talking about... Uh, murder and um, loving your enemies and adultery and divorce. You know, these were not popular topics to the people because they felt, one, they had a right to murder, you know, a Roman if, if they could get away with it because they hated Rome that was oppressing them. And they, they liked the idea of divorce. Obviously, the woman that had had five husbands had certainly taken advantage of that. And they couldn't understand what you why you would possibly want to love your enemies. And so when Jesus starts telling them all through the rest of chapter 5 a new law, a new way, it is uh, totally unheard of for them and almost to the point where they're, you know, why would he teach such things? And yet Jesus is basically going back through all of the Ten Commandments and showing them how not only is he not doing away with the law, he is making taking it a step further in truth, but it's a truth that lives within your heart. What he's saying is that if you've even thought about, you know, the, the Old Testament says is one of the, um, the Ten Commandments, do not murder. He says, but I'll tell you that anyone who is angry with his brother will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to his brother, Raka is answerable to the Sanhedrin, but anyone who says you fool will be in danger of the fire of hell. Okay, I don't know how many of you people have said you fool. Uh, I think that 
what he's getting at here is it's sort of a like blaspheming somebody or um, you know kind of lashing out in anger and he's saying even that lashing out is the same as murder it's a sin so that's why he's saying that even the Pharisees who think they have it all together and they put all these laws in place so that they can be quote holy aren't holy they're not holy on the inside because they think and they do and they say things that are inconsistent with the holy God so the people hear these truths and begin to think wow these you know in some ways they're glad because he's picking on the Pharisees he's saying you're not so holy either because I'm sure some of the people that were listening to him were part of the religious um, few and they could sit back and say oh well we've got it together because we follow all these different rules that that were listed in the Old Testament and Jesus is is challenging them with not so fast you know what's it's what matters is in your heart not what you have managed to control yourself to do to um, only walk so many steps on Sunday or to um, give a certain percentage down to every last little bit of herb that you um, that you buy you give a little percentage of it to God instead he's saying um, you know true love comes true true spirituality comes from loving your enemies you know that's a hard thing to think about it's a hard thing for for Christians to wrap our arms around you know how do we love someone that is against everything that we are we stand for and yet Jesus is is showing them a better way okay uh, let's turn now to Matthew 6:22, and let's look at one of the things that um, Jesus is uh, trying to get across to them okay the eye is the lamp of the body if your eyes are good your whole body will be full of light but if your eyes are bad your whole body will be full of darkness if then the light within you is darkness how great is that darkness see how he's saying that if you look within you will see whether what you think what you say what what you are um, what you are inside is what really tells God who you are and and where your standing is with God um, let's see an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth we would say that right we would say well that's the way it should be and yet Jesus is saying to them uh, not so fast uh, it's not an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth instead you should forgive you know you should uh, be willing to um, turn the other cheek uh, if somebody asks you to carry their coat, this was a common thing then that the Roman soldiers would grab somebody and say, here, carry my coat for a ways. That if, and they had to go a mile. They were required to walk a mile carrying his coat. But here Jesus is saying, if you, someone requires you to walk a mile, we'll walk two miles. Um, if somebody asks you, don't turn them away. But, um, you know, hear, hear them, see them, you know, uh, be be what God, what spirit is within you is uh, meant to be. So we see that these are teachings that are difficult. They're difficult for so many reasons, not only just in the application of the ones people did understand, but many times Jesus would speak in parables. Now a parable is a story that has a deeper meaning. And so he would tell a story that would encourage the people by you know to remember it 
which it would. You know, it's kind of easy to remember stories. We tend to stack them up of different things that, uh, you know, bedtime stories as a kid and what have you. Most of us probably could tell the story of uh, Snow White or one of those. And here we have Jesus teaching a story. But beneath the story is a much deeper meaning. And those that really seek it out would understand it. But at the time, that was confusing to a lot of the people. They just saw it as amusing and entertaining and interesting. And yet Jesus would take his disciples aside and he would begin to explain, here's what I'm talking about here. And so this was um, chapter, let's look at Luke chapter 15. Turn to Luke chapter 15. Okay, let's see. Uh, okay, I'm going to get to this point. If you're at Luke chapter 15, uh, it, it's, he starts off talking about a lost sheep. Actually, he talks about three lost things. He begins by saying, Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Does he not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety-nine righteous people who do not need to repent. Now it's not that the righteous people don't need to repent. They do, but they don't think they do. Then he proceeds to tell the story of a woman with a lost coin. Or suppose a woman has ten silver coins and loses one. Does she not light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost coin. In the same way I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Here we see Jesus again and again saying, People are important, individuals are important, and if someone is lost and they come back to God, that is cause for great rejoicing. Finally, he tells the story of the, the lost son. Many people have called this the story of the prodigal son. And he says, There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the inheritance. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the young son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. Okay, that obviously the man has two sons. The older one probably is set to inherit most of the uh, the farm or the ranch, whatever they have, most of the possessions. But the younger one will receive some. And so he decides, well, I'm just going to skip to the end here and, and go ahead and take my inheritance and have fun with it. And he does until it's all gone. So as he's, after he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in the whole country and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to, into the fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. Okay, let's think about this. We're talking about Jews. How do Jews feel about pigs? Yes, you're exactly right. So we see that the uh, insult is even so deep that he has to go and, um, and live among the pigs. Uh, not only is he broke, but now he's filthy broke. Okay, and so we say, uh, when he sees his, comes to his senses, he says, how many of my father's hired hands have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired men. 
So he got up and went to his father. At least he did wisen up and realize that, hey, back home, even if I'm treated like a servant, I'm going to be living better than I am now. And so he goes back to his father, and you would think, and I'm sure he was expecting his father to be very angry with him, but it says, while he was still a long way off, his father saw him was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe, put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fatted calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate, for this son of mine was dead and is, is alive. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. So this, these three stories are saying that God cares about lost people. He cares about those who are far from him. And no matter how deep of trouble they have gotten themselves into, he is weighty and willing to accept them back and embrace them. So you can see that uh, if, if you did the lesson, um, the parables of Jesus were meant to convey truth and yet it was hard for the people to understand. In fact I think that they got that the story was a nice story with a happy ending. I think that they didn't always get that he was talking about God calling them. Um, those that, that particularly whose hearts were particularly um, pricked by this truth uh, did begin to question and begin to follow Jesus and did become his disciples. In fact, at one point he has way more than the 12 disciples. He has a core group that follows him that could be, I think that there was like over 70 that that followed him very uh, and basically were his um, uh, protégés. They were the ones that wanted to be like Jesus. And yet it was the 12 that he particularly invested in. You know, 12 people is a lot of a lot to invest in and if Jesus can invest in in just 12 it's probably a wise thing for us to think about when we are uh, wanting to teach a class or wanting to pull together a small group or wanting to uh, really disciple some people you know keep your groups small because that is how you can truly impart uh, wisdom and that they can see your life and you can be with them and you can truly know them okay just a little side note there all right, well, some of the things that we've seen today, um, and I hope that maybe some of this um, has shed some light on the mystery of Jesus' teachings. Uh, the people followed him because he was entertaining, but they also followed him because he was able to heal. And so we are going to talk about the miracles of Jesus in our next podcast. But in this one, uh, things to remember, Jesus taught with authority as if God himself was teaching Jesus taught in parables so that the people could relate to him and could remember the story. Jesus' teachings were controversial and caused many to criticize him and question his credentials to teach. As word got around about Jesus' teachings and the, the uh, Pharisees who began to hang around and listen to him would get very angry at what Jesus was teaching. And so they would... Uh, begin to say, well, he has no right to be saying that, or who is he, this guy anyway? And so uh, it caused a great deal of stir among the religious people because they didn't like that the people were following him. Uh, next week we will see how that heightens to the point where he has such a great following and the, the religious leaders get deeply concerned about it and decide 
that they can't have him hanging around anymore and so they begin to plot to kill him. All right, hopefully you have enjoyed this session of Basic Bible 101. I want to encourage you to go ahead and work on the next lesson. If you don't have a student workbook, you can get it through our site, basicbible101.com. And of course, you can always email me questions, or I have, actually have a blog now, Basic Bible 101 blog. So be sure and, and blog questions if you would like as well. So in the meantime, I want to say thank you for listening, and be blessed. Thank you.